0: Man, basic question, man. Why do they call you Fat Joe?
1: Man, since I was a little kid, I was overweight, and everybody in my building and in my projects always called me Fat Joey. So uh, I took it as a term of endearment and just always rocked out with it.
0: I'm Reggie O'Sane, and this is Mogul, the life and death of Chris Lighty, a production of Gimlet Media and the Loudspeakers Network. All right, so we're halfway through this story, but we really wanted to pause to do something a little different before we tell the rest of Chris's tale. One of the people we interviewed for Mogul was Fat Joe, and those of you who've heard an interview with Fat Joe will know that the man is an incredible storyteller. And when we spoke to him, Joe dropped a couple of ill stories about Chris that we couldn't fit into a standard episode, but we still wanted to share them with you right here in full. Before we get into this, a warning... If you have strong reactions to descriptions of violence, you may want to skip this episode. When Chris Lighty first met Fat Joe, it was in the early 1990s. Chris was building his reputation as an executive, but he still kept his ear to the streets. And that's where he found Fat Joe, in the streets of the boogie-down Bronx, the same streets that Chris came from. Back then, Joe was starting to build a reputation as a rapper but a lot of people in the hood had heard about him for something else. Fat Joe was a drug dealer. Now, a lot of rappers sold a little weed on the side and spit about being on El Chapo status and such. But in Fat Joe's case, this was no exaggeration. Fat Joe was official, a big-time drug dealer. And when Chris first went to meet him to discuss the possibility of signing him, that's exactly what he was doing. So,
1: at the time, I was hustling, you know, like big drugs, you know, and, um, so I didn't really take him rap seriously, and Chris Lighty came to my spot, to, yeah, to my spot, spots. like a drug place, one of my drug locations. I got a Benz there, Beamer there. I got gold chains on. I'm watching shit. Was
0: it an apartment or like a?
1: Store? Nah, I was in. The, it was in the streets. So I had like a building. It was a, a old coffin factory, and we <laughs> and we had it all cemented up, and we had the hole in the wall, and the picture would be by the wall. We would we would we would double cemented and put steel so the police won't get in there. And um, they would pitch through the fucking wall. Pitch means like, yo, what you want, a bundle of dope? All right, it's $100. So we had a guy behind the door, almost like if you went to a check cashing place. You never even could see him. And then we would control the crowd outside, like, you know, two at a time, two at a time, keeping them moving like that and watch out, you know. It was like a fortress. So the cops... Really, never, never, never busted nobody in they there. Didn't want, they didn't want it. They didn't want to bust Too much. You couldn't even get in there. Like you know what I'm saying? He came to the spot, my nigga. He came to the spot. Yeah. He walked up on me. He didn't walk up no fancy car, no crew, one deep. He was like, yo, what's up? He was like, "Uh, you Fat Joe, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm Fat Joe. He was like, I'm Chris, I'm baby Chris. And I was like, yeah, I know who you is. And he was like, yo, I think you could be a, a dope rapper. I think you could be, and I was like, word? And he was like, nigga, I signed a contract in the middle of the street. <laughs> he came with the contract. I think I made 35,000 or some shit. Right. And I signed, and I was showing everybody the contract. They didn't believe me, like all the hustlers. And from that point on, I left the drug game, and I just went
0: legit. Just because he left the drug game didn't mean he could let his guard down. Fat Joe still had enemies. And one day, his past caught up with him. This is the story of how Fat Joe got shot.
1: Tell, us tell a story? How, how you ain't never you hear office. that story, bro. That's the realest story. I don't tell those stories because then you think I lied. You know, but it's a fact. There was a kid I used to pick on all the time. He owed me like $10, and I would see him all the time and tell his friends, yo, that nigga owe me $10. That nigga owe me $10. So I would like fake threaten him. I really didn't want to hurt him, but I would fake threaten him every time I saw him. One day, it was 4th of July, and we was having a picnic, and we were playing softball. And I had maybe 100 niggas with me. We had maybe 15 guns in the park. Of course, I go to get my Diet Pepsi. Come out the store. The kid is standing out there with a black leather trench coat, it's like 100 degrees. Me, 2016, I would've knew something was funny. I was just, I thought I was invincible, the hottest, the craziest nigga on earth. I went and bought a Diet Pepsi like this size, and then was still bottles. Now I say, yo, man, what the fuck you doing out here, man? And he had this like deranged face. And he was like looking at me, smiling. Like, you my nigga, you got my $10, nigga? And he was just looking at me like he was lost, like in his zone. So now he pulls out the gun. And when he pulled out the gun, I still looked at him and said, no, my nigga, what the fuck you going to do with that gun? You fucking crazy. So I hit him in his forehead so hard with the Diet Pepsi that I watched sawdust. The bottle dissolved into sawdust. That's how hard I hit him. And he was a black dude. And there was a fucking white line looking like lightning. It was white meat. And then the blood started coming. And I look at his face. He just started laughing, and I knew that was it. He cocked his shit back. So at that point, I knew, oh shit, I gotta run. <laughs> it's crazy because I turned around and I started running. It was 4th of July, so people are in the street and everything. So I'm running in the middle of the street. He shooting. Right, and um, I'm running in the middle of the street and at one point I could have ran to the left where my car was at, I had two guns in my car. I could have ran to the left and got away. I would have got away without getting hit, but there was a bunch of little kids playing there. And in that split second that I thought about, should I go to the left and, go and get away? But I know these little kids are gonna get hit And I thought about that very split second that I thought about, fuck it, keep running straight. I got hit twice, that very split second. Where'd you get hit? In my arm and in the side. Now I got a white t-shirt on, the whole shit was red. So I'm thinking he's chasing me down. I think he's behind me like, I know this guy gotta kill me. Like I know he gotta finish this job, like you gotta kill him. So as I'm running, Uh, My shirt is all red. My mother's out there with my son Joey. My baby Joey was in the carriage. So as I'm running, I see my mom's looking at me. This was crazy, man. I remember seeing my son in the carriage. So then when I get to my car, I remember going under my seat in the passenger side and pull out the guns It felt like it was a movie. Like, I was like, I think he's going to jump on the hood and air me out, right? So I remember grabbing a gun, the guns, and going like, "Yeah, nigga." And when I went like this, I was like, "Oh, I start fainting." And then my uncle Willie jumped in the driver's side and drove me to the hospital. My uncle Willie was driving me; he was dumb, nervous, and I was like, "Yo, yo, I can't get blood on my seats. This shit was a new <laughs> Beamer. So, like, yo, I can't get blood on my seats, Uncle Will." So then they took me to the hospital. They cut my clothes off. The whole Bronx knew. It was like, they actually said I was dead. So it was like
0: big hype. Fat Joe went into surgery and made it out on the other side alive. When he was recovering in the hospital, Chris Lighty came to see him. And he had only one question for his artist.
1: He said, you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. He was like, "Okay." You ain't fuck up the money. You broke out. Ain't <laughs> broke out. Me. I guess that was some gangster shit. I was like, yo, this nigga ain't give a fuck about me, man. He just came over here straight business. Right, right. Nah, I always say he's a piece of shit, a businessman. I told him that. I said, yo, Chris, you're a piece of shit. You be like, nah, nah, nah. I had to make sure my money was straight.
0: <laughs> Next week on Mogul, we return to Chris Lighty's story, and he's got more chaos headed his way.
1: Robust well, would be downstairs. That's how slick he was. He would be downstairs, but he will call the office. He'd be like, yo, let me speak to Chris. If I tell him he ain't here right now, he comes come upstairs to chat. And then see you you lied to me? You don't even
0: know me, homie. You gonna lie to me? Was he serious? Very serious. This episode of Mogul is a production of Gimlet Media and the Loudspeakers Network. It was produced by Eric Eddings and Meg Driscoll, with help from Isabella Kulkarni, Jonathan Menna, and Peter Bresnan. Our senior producers is Matthew Nelson. Our editors are Lynn Levy, Caitlin Kenny, and Chris Morrow. Sound design and mixing by Haley Shaw. This episode was scored by Nana Kubena, with additional music by Haley Shaw. If you like what we're doing here, Please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to help new people find out about the show. Come on, B, do it for the culture. Got internets? Got Twitter? Follow us for all of the latest news and a behind-the-scenes look at the making of the show. Our handle is at mogul.